You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Good morning, church. Good morning, church online. Welcome to the live stream and welcome here, church family. We're so blessed to worship with you guys this morning. Is it an amazing to be in corporate worship together? Amen. Hallelujah. So we have a couple of announcements coming up. Um, Faithway is always, always busy. We're on a mission to reach people. We're on the mission to reach uh, nations and countries. And we're on a mission to meet our community. So um, just try to see where you can fill in and and, um, pour a seed somewhere where you can help out in our mission to receive uh, Jesus and help people to receive Jesus and live a new way. So our first one that we have, and I'm pretty sure most of you have seen this whenever you were coming in, all those cupcakes and cakes out there, please participate and take something home with you. Please don't leave anything. This is a fundraiser. This is to fund our missions trip. This is for our ladies ministry. They will be having a trip to Cuba also in July. And um, all of the proceeds that we make, it's just to help fund the ladies to get there, help fund the ladies to purchase all the materials that they need so that they can minister and, and uh, plant the seed in the, the, the little hearts of the kids that we were um, going to be speaking to. Um, the first time that the ladies went out there, just to give you a little bit of information, we were anticipating 200 kids and... Um, we packed and they sent everything for 200 kids. And, you know, God is so faithful that we had, the ladies had enough money based off of the fundraisers that you guys helped plant. They had enough money because we didn't, they didn't have 200 kids. They had 500 kids. So that is amazing. So we look forward to a big number, 500, even more in July. So please participate in any of the fundraisers that you see. It is for a good purpose. It is to change lives, and it is to change nations. Um, We also will be having, uh, we have a flyer up, um, a bingo, and this is April 24th, and it is not at 1 p.m. The flyer says 1 p.m. It is at 2 p.m., so please, if you want to show up at 1 p.m., you're more than welcome to show up. We're more sure that we could use your help to set up. So it is at 2 p.m. If you haven't purchased your tickets, don't worry. We're still selling. You can get with any of the leaders or any of the helps teams here at Faithway so that you can purchase your tickets. It's four cards for $20, and all, all kids can play. Your children can play with you also. Um, and there's lots and lots and lots of prizes in. I don't know if you saw a post that Miss Yanis posted, but these prizes just keep trickling in and trickling in and trickling in. So the first one was a complete success. The first one was awesome, and it was a lot of fun. So we have high expectations for this one. Um, we know that this one will be a lot of fun also. So bring someone with you and come and have some fun. It's clean fun. Come and have some fun and bring your family. And then on May 14th, I'm not sure if we have a flyer for this one. There we go. We have a brunch with Dawsey Meek, and this is for ladies only. So, men, you guys are not invited. You get to stay home and babysit. 
So ladies, this is just for you. Bring your family, bring your friends with you, bring your sisters, bring your, your neighbors, your coworkers. Bring someone with you because this word is not designed just so that we can receive it and hoard it and keep it to ourselves and not share it. The word is designed for every single woman out there, every single lady. So bring someone, it's broken down, and it's ministered just for women. So please save the date and show up. It's going to be Saturday, May 14th at 9 in the morning, and it is brunch, so you're getting word and the food. So um, we look forward to seeing you guys. So kids... Both classes will be collecting in Super Kids today, so you guys can go ahead and be dismissed. Miss Angie's in the back waiting for you guys, and you guys get to make your own Sundays today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, kids, you are dismissed. Um, nursery is here in the hallway foyer um, for the ages 0 to 3, and then all other kids from 4 to 11, you will be collecting with Miss Angie. So let's go ahead and open up our hearts and let's get ready to receive the word and experience life in a new way. And let's get ready to celebrate and live in complete freedom. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you. Good morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Get organized. That's the thing with me. Got my Cowboys Cup, so it reminds me of a journey song. It's called Don't Stop Believing. All right, we'll just leave it at that. All right, you guys ready for this? Where is everybody? Like, this whole section left me today. I'll just preach on the sides today. That's all right. Um, praise God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for today. We thank you for the service. We thank you for what we recognize, what it is in our lives, Father, that the resurrection, that if it wasn't for this, it's pointless. Everything is pointless if it's not for this. So I thank you, Lord, that we don't serve an image on a wall. We don't serve a God that we know that's in a tomb somewhere because our God is alive and our Jesus is alive. And we celebrate that and we ask, Father, for the word to come forth freely and unhindered even from my own ideas and opinions, Father. We want it to come to the core of what we are celebrating today. And we believe we receive it in Jesus' name. You believe it? Say amen. amen. All right, glory to God. Can you turn me down just a little bit? Or oh, a little echo there. Thank you. Open your Bibles to Mark 16. And we're going to, I have like completely different direction. I was going to try to, you know, as a pastor, you want to be careful. You got to stick to the outline. And the Lord didn't let me do that over the last couple of days. Just, you know, after almost 30 years of preaching Easter Sunday services, you always wonder you know, how many more services can you come up with that it's not the same. Because to me, that is very important. You know, I could, trust me, I got... 28 years of outlines. There's probably thousands of outlines that I've made. But every Sunday I make a fresh one. Hello, are you guys still here? You should be excited because I could just go print an old one. No, you want fresh food, right? You like fresh cooked. And I, and I come to Resurrection Sunday always a little bit, a little apprehension because I say I don't want to fall into the, you know, the, okay, what, you know, what else do we add and you're not, you know, just repeating yourself. And, there, and really, I came to terms this, this last week on that, and I said, you know, Lord, give me something fresh that's lining up with everything. So I think you'll get something out of this this morning. Amen? I got some echo on my voice. I don't know if you guys can fix that. I just, um, it's, my focus is on my voice, and I don't want that to be my focus. <laughs> All right, let's go to Mark 16, verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 7. And whatever translation you have is fine. I just want to pull one thing out of here, and we'll see where it goes. 
so I'm just going to read out of King James. And this is the, the day of resurrection. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of Jesus, and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come to anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came up unto the sepulcher and the rising sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. And when he said unto them, Be not afraid, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified and is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, as he said unto you. Now there's a lot in here that we could, you know, build you know, and try and understand what this day is about. You know, why are we here? Why do we come? I always call it the Super Bowl, right? The Christian Super Bowl. Because this is the difference between pretty much our religion and every other religion. Um... The people that go to worship different entities, different gods, they have a tomb. You know, and that's their call. I'm not here to judge any of that. But they have a place where that person is buried, and they'll go worship and, you know, do whatever they need to. We don't have that. Amen? Think about that. Our, our God is alive. Our Jesus is alive. You know, he's a spirit, and he's real. And this is the historical event of that, of that that happened. And if you go through, because, you know, the, the people that say, oh, that whole Jesus thing, he didn't raise from the dead. I mean, there's so much historical evidence that backs that up that, you know, if you really studied out and you study other writers and you other study, you know, first century writers that didn't even have to do with Jesus, you find that this was a pretty, you know, this was a well-known event. You know, agree with it or you didn't agree with it. Jesus came out of the tomb. Say Amen. Okay, so we got to build on that, and I wanted to come in on something on, on this service because, again, I was, you know, we're, I was dealing with some, you know, dealing, we're all dealing with different things in life, and really the application. To me, it's always about how do you apply, how do you take home an idea, how do you take home, you know, a study, or, you know, are we just here to learn more about the Bible, or are we here to, you know, grow? So when I was thinking about Resurrection Sunday, I said, oh, first of all, I want to deal with it, you know, on, my, on a personal level, you know, what does it mean to me? And I think everyone in this room should consider that right now. What does this mean to you? You know, why are you even here this morning? Are you here, you know, here Sunday, you know, those watching me online? And thank God you're here. At the end of the service, we're going to have communion. And in that communion, you know, I'm going to talk about, about that. I'm going to prep you for it. You know, hopefully you'll never see communion ever again in the same light. But, you know, you really have to ask these questions. So I want to, there's one scripture that's not up on the screen, but I want to use that one. It's in Philippians chapter 3 from the Passion Translation. And I just want to pull this out in verse 10. And this is really where I'm at. You know, this is where this point in my life, spiritually, you know, seeking God as a father, as a grandfather, as a husband, whatever, you know, as a person, I found this and I said, man, I can relate to this. And this is what's amazing about God's word. You know, you read this, you study it in one way, then someday you need it for another reason and it comes into your life and it means a whole different thing. And this is what happened with this. It says, and I continually long, verse 10, to know the wonders of Jesus. Now, that's, a, that's a very simple statement. He says, Paul is saying, you know, there's one thing I never want to get bored of. That's one thing you should never get bored of. Seeking the wonders of Christ. Because, you know, the more, you know, if you seek religion, you're going you're gonna to top it off pretty quick. Are you guys listening this morning? You know, if you seek religion, it's going to top off. But if you seek God, you're never going to top off. You know, even if you seek Faithway, it's going to top off. You come to Faithway, it's going to top off at some point. But when you begin to seek God, it changes everything. 
Because this is what Paul was after. Paul wasn't trying to start a religion. Paul wasn't trying to, you know, force people to believe in him or in Jesus. He, he, he had a whole different approach. You know, he, one, one side of Paul, you know, was killing, persecuting Christians thinking he was doing God's will. Thinking he was in God's will. Then he had what I call an aha moment that hopefully we've all had at some point in our life. The moment that you realize that you don't have it all together. The moment that you realize that you do need spirit in your life. The moment that you realize that your career and all your agendas and everything you think of is off cue. And then God comes into the picture. That religion doesn't do that for you. The only thing that does that for you is a relationship. That's what Paul had found. So let me, let me take time on this. He says, I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus and to experience the overflowing power. Pay attention to this. Of his resurrection. You see, there's a longing in, in Paul to say, I really want to know what else is there. I mean, I'm, never, I'm always going to approach this with wonder. There's never, I'm never going to get bored, in other words. But then there's something else that I, in this pursuit says, what really happened at the resurrection? You know, what does this all mean? Is it, you know, guys, if you look really carefully, you're not going to find the Easter bunny in the Bible. And especially not a bunny that lays eggs. The only place you find a bunny that lays eggs is in Hindu religion. Oh, you're going to mess up our Easter bunny. No, go and chase your eggs and do whatever you want to. But the crowd didn't come up with that. That's just a historical fact. I don't have a problem with it. I'll go and bust cascarones on your head too. I'm just saying, is that we've reduced it to that? Let's you know, we, we reduced it to what is in my Easter basket. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. And I'm not trying to no, go enjoy this today with your family, please. Make sure those kids... Enjoy it, but at the same time, don't let it be reduced to another fictional character that has no power in their life. Amen, Pastor. Nothing wrong with it. But you've got to make sure you separate them. The Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and Batman and Spider-Man and all the rest of them, they're not real. Jesus is. And if you're not careful, your kid will grow up and he'll put Jesus in the Batman, Superman, Santa Claus bag. And he'll be, grow up with a cultural Christianity, like a lot of us did. With a sense of holiness. You know what the Bible says? With a sense of holiness, but denying the power thereof. Y'all sit with me this morning? And that's what Paul was pursuing. It took me a long time to get there. That's the only thing Paul was pursuing. He was saying, what is this power of resurrection? How can a dead body come back alive, and how does that even affect my life? And that was his whole pursuit. And he brings a statement, I wanna, and we're going to build on this, because there's some things we need to talk about in the church. That I think the church, especially sometimes even in our camp, we kind of shy away from, but Paul brings it up. He says, I long to know the wonders of Jesus and experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him. Everybody say, one with him. Now, that sounds like a really cool thing, right? Oh, I'm just one with God. Yeah. But Paul makes a little statement that a lot of, Je- a lot of Jesus followers don't want to bring up. He said, I, be- I want to be one with him. I want to be one with him. But then he makes this little statement. In his suffering. That's the one nobody wants to talk about. Because, you know, we're getting sold a brand of Christianity that says, if you're suffering, maybe you're, not, maybe you're, you're doing something wrong. Amen. You know, if your life is not on the right track and, you know, sickness and disease or you had a financial catastrophe or your kids are on drugs, maybe you're not doing something right. 
And we go right back to the law, right? And I'm not, I'm not off subject. You know, we're still talking about this interaction between the cross and us. But we're not, we're not just stopping at the cross. There's something else that we have to understand what the interaction is. It's the empty tomb. Because the, ro- the cross represents death. The tomb represents life. And it's good to understand the cross. And we're going to bring up some of the things that I've been talking about for the last few weeks. But if we don't, you know, so we have to have a, under, have a relationship or a working, relatable experience with the cross. But at the same time, we've got to look further down and have a working relatable experience with his resurrection. Because that's what Paul was saying. But he does mention this idea of suffering, right? And that's one thing like, whoa, 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 I don't know what, I don't know, because, no, suffering is part of this thing. Amen? And one of the things that I was looking at, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, is there's even, you know, there's so much grace when you put everything into perspective. And that's really my message today. Because I want to, I want to bring all this back to one little thing that's mentioned in this reading, and then we'll, then we'll follow some of the things on the outline. Because this idea of grace, this idea that, you know, from the cross to the empty tomb, where do I sit there? Well, the one little thing that you pull out of this reading that is one of, you know, the, the Bible doesn't make mistakes. The Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes. The Holy Spirit didn't just add something. Go, 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 back, to, go back to that one. Go back to the previous one. We're going to come back. Go back to, just go look at that last scripture here on the screen, guys. Verse 7 says, Now go and tell his disciples. What, what, what were they supposed to tell his disciples? He's alive, right? The tomb's empty, because they didn't believe it. Mary didn't believe it. None of them believed it. They were there to prepare a body. That was their custom. With all the miracles that they saw, with all the things, I mean, Mary herself, you know, virgin birth. Are you kidding me? And at the end, she's still thinking, well, something happened. Something's off. Well, no, it wasn't off. It was right on schedule. But he goes, go tell his disciples. But then there's this one little statement that's always stayed with me. Never left me alone. I've preached it off and on here and there over the years. But it really meant a lot this week. says, including Peter. Now, I want to talk about that because one of the things that you've got to understand about the, the empty tomb. You can go to that next slide. Or, I'm sorry. That's what it says. The empty tomb always will represent this absolute access to grace. The grace is something, you know, it's, I've been preaching grace, I've done series on grace, I've taught grace, and I still hardly don't understand it, because the more you understand grace, or you think you understand grace, the less you really understand grace. <laughs> because, you know, we're so contaminated with legalisms and judgmental attitudes and all this stuff, but you have to understand, the empty tomb represented this access to grace. Now let's talk a little bit about Peter, because Peter becomes all of us. Why did he mention Peter? Why, did he, why wasn't it okay with just his disciples? That includes all of them, that includes Peter. You with me? But why does he make a mention to Peter? Why, you know, because the difference between Peter and Judas, they both betrayed him. What's the difference? I mean, it was Judas's sin worse than Peter's sin? One hung himself and one found grace. You with me? You got it. We got to talk about this because this is really what that tomb represents. You see, Peter denied Jesus. I mean, he was told he was going to deny Jesus. Oh, I'll never deny, I'll die for you. Uh-huh, we've all said that. I don't deny Jesus. Yes, you do. And so do I. Well, how do you do it? Well, when the suffering comes, and, the, and your default is fear, 
and your default is worry, and your default is anxiety, and your default is depression, and your default is I'm going to kill myself, and your default is whatever your default is, you just deny Jesus. How should you say it? So Peter, you know, you didn't deny, I, you know, I don't know him, you didn't, not, not in that context, but you're denying that power that Paul, that Paul talked about. The power of resurrection. See, that power of resurrection is available to everyone in this room. Now that we don't, including myself, we don't know how to use it, yes. Do we have full access to it? I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess faith and a lot of love and a lot of things that work together. But he said the power, and that's not the only time he says it. If you really track this thing, you see it over and over and over again in, in, the, in the New Testament. It really talks about this power of resurrection. So Peter, let's talk about little Peter, because once I mention Peter, this is where it's going to help you. Peter is a human just like all of us. He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He was his right-hand man. He was one of the three closest ones. In other words, Peter saw things that the other, you know, nine you know, didn't see. Peter and the three, you know, John. They saw things that, you know, the transfiguration, nobody else, you know, they saw stuff that we'll never see. They never saw. But when it came to a time of crisis, when it came a time, a difficult moment, his flesh, his, you know, whatever, his human nature took 100% control, and he denied Christ. Well, I know what's happening in Peter's heart. Because we, you know... From that point forward, we don't really track, you know, there's not a whole lot of history of what Peter did or didn't do. But we know one thing, we don't know, we know one thing, and it's not really clear, but there's really no mention of him at the cross. John was there. Some of the other guys were there. Mary was there. I mean, Jesus talks to John. John? In other words, he said, take care of mom. Where's Peter? Well, I think Peter is disgusted with himself. I think Peter is full of shame. I think Peter is one step away from hanging himself. So this mention, to me, and I get emotional because I think we all fall into this category that, that when we're in life's sufferings, whatever that may be, however you identify that today, sometimes you've got to remind yourself that he's still alive. And that sometimes it's not good enough to go say, just go tell his disciples. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's got to tell you. Sometimes it's not just come to church, it's going to be fine. Sometimes it's that quiet moment, you and God alone. And to me, that, that idea of go tell Peter, that, that it, by him inserting that little phrase, brings about a whole different perspective. So it's like, did the Holy Spirit make a, a mistake? No, he, meant, he does it for a reason. He says, make sure you tell Peter grace is here. Make sure you tell Peter that there's not one thing that he could have done that I would reject him for. Imagine if Judas had heard that. Maybe he wouldn't have hung himself, right? But the point of it is, the empty tomb represented this absolute, listen to this, 100 full access to this thing called grace. Now, when, when, you, when you understand this, or at least when you try to, like I said, the more you study the Bible, the less you know, trust me. <laughs> Almost 30 years of this. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. I want to show you some of this, and then we're going to make this personal this morning. Colossians 2.14, Passion Translation, reads this way. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. Stop. That's grace right there. That, to me, is the, 
Simplest definition of grace. Because what do we do? We don't accept that 100%. So by not accepting the fullness of that statement, what are we doing? We're denying Jesus. Are you also with me? We're not saying, I don't believe in Jesus. You're simply denying the fact that grace is so amazing that you still want to add some works to it. You want to add a little more to it. You want to add even suffering to it. We're going to put everything in its place here in a few minutes. But he says he canceled out every legal violation. So you imagine you go to court. Not that any of you have been there. Yeah, they're so quiet this morning. And you got all these tickets lined up. Since, you're, since that's like the worst crime you've ever committed. Whatever. And the judge says you owe $27,000 worth of tickets or you're going to do five years. And, and you're like, ah, 27000 in five years, 27000 You're like, I don't make 27000 in five years, so I'll just go take, you know. And then all of a sudden, this something happens, something shifts. The attorney comes in and says, it's all canceled out. And what did you do? Nothing. Pay attention to this little, simple illustration, because that's where we are before Jesus. We're all in a place where, yes, it wasn't my fault, no, but you were born in a broken system. And the only thing that can get you out of that brokenness is him. And by accepting the sacrifice, accepting the cross that we talked about for two weeks, that's wonderful, we've accepted the Christ, but then the, only, the other thing that we have to accept is the empty tomb. Because the cross represents everything that needs to die in your life. Amen? Oh, I'm a little ahead of myself, let me finish. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, that's, what I'm saying. that's kind of you know, the, the parallel here, or, or the analogy, is simply a, a court case. He erased it all, our sins, are stained sold. I like this word. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Amen. Y'all going to wake up this morning? Have you ever, like, you know, ever worked on a document? This happened to me a couple times until I got smart. Raise your hand if this happened to you. I mean, you worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, but you forgot to hit the control S. Nobody? Raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about. And then something happened, and you shut down your computer, or you had a power failure or something, and all your work has been deleted. You know that yucky feeling? Like, well, let's reverse it and go. All your sins, all the things that you're supposed to pay for, they've been deleted. And the only reason that you, you say, well, Pastor, how come I'm dealing with it? Because you keep on deleting them. Because you're saying the, sac- the, 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 you know, the tomb is not enough. Grace is not enough. I still got to beat myself down. I got to you know, pay a little more. I got to be Peter. Peter, Peter, thought it was over. That's why he wasn't there at the crucifixion. That's why he wasn't there at the day of the resurrection. Even though he heard this for three and a half years. I'm going to come back. 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 You would think he would have believed it, right? Y'all with me this morning? But the condemnation that came nullified all that experience. Question to you. What kind of condemnation are you dealing with that's nullifying your whole experience with Christ? Because the condemnation does not come from him. It can only come from two sources. One, from Satan. But it usually comes from just your own self. Amen? All right, give me the next one, RJ. Let's, let's, let's move this. The personal cross represents the death of self. But at the end of self, it's the birth of love. And, and I'm going to talk about that in a few weeks. I'm not quite ready there. But really, the, the idea, I'll just give you the preview. God, well, let's start with this. I am is God, right? Elohim, I am. I am God. God says, I am love. And then God says, I am in you. Thus, you are love. We'll stop at that. 
<laughs> Somebody's like, what? Yeah, that's really good. I'm, trust me, I'm digging into it right now. That means you have the capacity to love the same way God loves. Because the personal cross represents the death of self. In other words, when you look at the cross, you are willing... You remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago? When Jesus said, take up your cross? He didn't say, take up my cross. I already took that one. He said, take up your cross. That means you are willing to die to your selfish nature. You're willing to die to you know, your agendas. You're willing to die to a lot of things that, that you know, your own messed up thinking, your own messed up whatever. But you don't just die. You are willing to give birth to something. And that is a process that we're all going to stay on probably till we go to heaven and even beyond is the process of birthing ourselves into this idea of God is love. And why is this important? Give me the next one. I'll show you why. So when I look at the cross, what must I? Now, these are my own personal ideas. This, this came from a very personal place. This is not a little outline that I'm throwing at you. I even debated even putting this up here because I'm dealing with this. I deal with it all the time. So when I look at the cross, I look, okay, what, do, what, does, what needs to die for me to truly understand what I'm supposed to do? Number one is my ego. And I'm not even going to preach on that because I've got a whole series coming on that one. The other thing that I really needs to die in my life right now is my perception of what I actually control. What I perceive that I control. That's because let me help you with that one. You think you control a lot of things that you don't. Amen, Pastor. Y'all went Baptist on me or what? Oh my God! From one week to one week, it's just like this is our resurrection. You said be full of joy. You're like, yeah, this message is depressing me. No, it's not. Tell me, what can you, know, you perceive you control a lot of things. I can prove it to you, COVID. How much control did you have over that? How much control did you have about work and restaurants that you wanted to eat and whatever, you know, airplanes you want to fly on? And, right, hey, tell us about that one. How much control do you have over that? You don't have no control over nothing. So it really is, you know, I look at the cross and I say, you know, I really have to clear my perception, which was part of our message, we will get to it eventually, of how I see things now. Because one of the things I've got to see is really have a clear vision of what I control. And the other one is, you know, I look to the cross, you know, currently, in every judgmental attitude that I have against anybody in, around me. But the biggest one is, including the harsh judgment I give myself. How hard are you on yourself? How hard do you judge yourself? I'll tell you something about human nature. We give advice to people that we don't give ourselves. We tell people how to get their lives in order with some really good advice. I'm not saying it's bad advice. But when it comes to us, we beat ourselves up. We don't give ourselves that chance. Come on, just let it go. Everyone makes mistakes. You ever heard that one? Did you ever dish that one out? That when it came to your mistakes, how long did you hold on to it? Are you still holding on to it? Probably. There's probably a few things you're still holding on to. Well, Pastor, you understand, you know, I, I did this, I did, yeah, I understand, but where's grace? Where's the tomb? Where's the cross? Because, you know, that's the thing. I look to the cross for things to die. I don't think, I don't look to the cross and say, oh, Jesus, you know, you took my this, you took this. The cross bore some things. Amen? It bore your shame. It bore your sickness and disease. It bore a lot of things. But you have to be able to, to, be able to look at the cross and say, what are the things that I can die? Let me, let me give you some notes I have here. Um... I don't know, I don't think they're up on the... So the, there is grace. I'm, I'm going to go back to the statement because I left it hanging out there and I don't want to leave it out there hanging. When, when, when Paul makes a statement about the resurrection and the suffering, pay attention to this. 
Because suffering is really, it's kind of a really intense word. You say suffering. But it really means being uncomfortable. You could be suffering right now because the chair is uncomfortable. Well, not these chairs. If you were in Cuba, you'd be suffering. And those are the improved chairs, the ones they have in Cuba now, before they were even worse than those. So suffering, there's a lot of levels of being uncomfortable, right? Some, somebody in your family passes away. You experience suffering or grief. That's a, that's a form of suffering, you know? When I was going through the, you know, I got COVID in January and right in the middle of it because I can't stop and lay down. I went and broke my finger. There's a lot of suffering there. My nail's still almost there. <laughs> it's almost come back. You know, that's a form of suffering. You know, your dog dies. That's a form of suffering. So we can have all the different forms and shapes of suffering. Nonetheless, Paul said, I got to be able to be one with him even in that. And this is where Christians miss it. Because they're like, oh, we're Christians. We got to suffer. No, guess what? You're human. You got to suffer. <laughs> you live on this planet. You breathe. There's going to be a lot of uncomfortable times in your life. Go ahead and accept that. How do you go through uncomfortable times? How do you go through suffering? What is this thing that Paul says, I became one with him in the, you know, I want to be one in his resurrection, one in his power, but I want to be one in his uncomfortableness. Now we can really open up a lot about what was Jesus uncomfortable about, but we're not going to go that far. I'm just going to pull one thing out of the book of Hebrews. It says, he was tempted in everything, but without sin. Now, that word tempted doesn't mean he was like, hey, do you want to do this? You want to? No, it was tested and tried. So it could be sin. Well, Pastor, I'm dealing with this you know, character flaw in me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to whatever. Fill in the blank. Guess what? Jesus was tempted on that. That's, how? I don't know. I just think what the Bible says. You know, I'm sure you know, he, was, he didn't have internet, so I'm not sure how that works. But whatever the temptation was, according to the word of God, he went through it. How does that help me? Well, that's where the power, remember the power of resurrection? Because you can't get, deal with it by yourself. You know, come on, the, the, the sooner you accept that you are weak in a certain area, it is, how can I put it, when you accept your weakness, that's where God moves the grace at the highest level. Again, to one of Paul's statements. You know, and again, scholars disagree and theologians disagree if he was sick or not sick or whatever, but I don't have a problem with Paul being sick because sickness hits everybody. And there are some scriptures that he had an eye sickness. But here it sounds like it was a more of a, you know, it seems like it was a people problem to me. But he says, I looked for God three times about a certain issue. I'm going to paraphrase this very loosely. I went to God three times about a specific issue. How many of you guys have gone three times to God about a specific issue? Ten times, 15 times, and it still is not resolved. Anybody? Come on, let's just be honest today. I, I'm there. So what's the answer? So this is Paul speaking. He says, I went to God three times about this thing that I call a thorn in the flesh. Now you can, whatever you want to put the thorn in the flesh, some people say it was people that were harassing, other people say it was sickness, other people say it was this eye infection. I don't care, you name it. Whatever it was, it was suffering. Right? Whatever it was, it was uncomfortable to the point that Paul went three times to God about it. And on the third time, God said a, the most amazing grace statement in the Bible. He said, Paul, 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 stop coming to me with this. My grace is sufficient. Stop with that. My grace is sufficient. And then he said this, because in your weakness, 
I can become strong. Isn't that so good? Think about whatever situation in your life is so unbearable right now. Have you said it? I've said it. I've said a few things in the last few weeks that say, I can't do this anymore. Anybody said that? Come on, let's just be honest, Christians. Pastor's got his hand up. I said it. I can't do this anymore. What were you talking about? None yet. <laughs> Could have been you. All right? I'll just leave it at that. But whatever it was, you are recognizing your weakness. And I think one of the, the great catastrophes of Christianity, and if we're not careful, even the modern full gospel message that we preach is that come to Jesus, everything's awesome, come to Jesus, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be dandy, Jesus is a big puffy pillow. So here come all these broken people to puffy pillow Jesus, and you find out he's not a puffy pillow, but he's your best option. And sometimes there is a little rough riding, and sometimes your flesh is going to have to (laughs) adjust to what God is telling you. Amen. You see, when I'm taking you is from the cross to the empty tomb. And that whole process is simply called grace. You know, it says in Peter, and Peter's repeating Isaiah, he says that he bore all our sickness and all our disease. And I was thinking of this because I've used this term, that these things are unbearable. Let me help you with unbearable. If you say it's unbearable, guess what? It is bearable. If you say this in my life is unbearable, it is not unbearable because it's already on your life and you're not dead. Are you still here? When we say, I can't do this anymore, when we say this is unbearable, then that's, and I'm using the word unbearable for a reason, because of, that's where you get the word, he bore our sickness, he bore our weakness. I mean, in other words, he took upon himself the choice to carry these things, and the way we can access, if I can put it this way, Jesus the freight train, in other words, we're going to put the load on him now, the only way we have access to that is with this basic understanding of his grace. That's the only access you have. Because I can't be good enough, I can't pray enough, I can't go to church enough, I can't give enough, I can't tithe enough to get this mess off of me. All my works are dead. You with me? So now you're here, so I look at the cross and, and I have all these challenges, and really the first one is the one that everyone in this room has a challenge because your ego is what tells you that you've got to figure this thing out. Back to Paul, right? Three times I look for God. Three times, get this off of me, get this thorn off my flesh. Three times, God, two times God didn't answer, which was interesting enough to me. On the third time, God said, yeah, let's go, you know, really, Paul? Let's talk about something else. My grace is sufficient. In your weakness, I will become strong. So weakness is not a bad thing. Suffering is not a bad thing. Suffer, you know, because we keep, oh, let's not talk about suffering. You know, we're, we're faith church. We're the faith church. Victory, victory. Yeah, victory is. Victory is amazing, but there's usually no victory if there's not a battle. The only way you can have a victory without a battle is if the other team doesn't show up. It's called forfeit. That's not going to happen in this life, amen? Because the other team always shows up, and he shows up mean and strong. And he's every day at your house, and he sends foxes and bills and people and all kinds of stuff. So how do you save the challenge? No, I'm okay with suffering. I'm okay with unbearables. I'm okay with all that because I just resolved something. My next point, what is my perception of what I actually can control? Well, you've been telling us this all year. I'm going to keep telling it until you get it. <laughs> Amen. You know, Kenneth Hagin preached Word of Faith, you know, one scripture for 70 years. I'm sure I can beat this one down. Well, because really faith is now, all these things you've been hearing all year, comes to the place, how do I get from the cross to the empty grave? 
And it comes by the acceptance, number one, that suffering is part of this life. The acceptance that you will be faced with unbearable situations. But once you call it unbearable, it is bearable. Think about it. Once you identify that's unbearable, the, the, the fact that you're talking about it means that you can handle it. Your perception has to change. Because your perception is not anymore about, oh, I can't fix this, Pastor. Well, good for you. That's probably the best place you can be right now if you can't fix it. Because it opens wide open for God. Because when that thing gets fixed, you can give God all the glory for it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? When you pray over that thing and it's like all of a sudden, you know, you, you, has that ever happened to you? You pray about something and you pray about something and you, you kind of hold it. I remember one experience I had. I was dealing with allergies like really, really bad and it was so demonic. Uh, some of you, Marcos will remember, Araceli will remember because we were still in Miranda City in my little house and we would do Wednesday nights and I worked full time. I worked at a foundry in, in, in Nuevo Laredo and the Wednesdays they would let me out early, blah, blah, blah. But it was like on purpose, every Wednesday I would get smashed with this huge allergy attack. So I would talk like this. I mean, just like, you know, runny nose. Thank God there wasn't COVID back then, but nobody would have gone to church. That's how I, I said, Pastor got COVID all the time. Man. That went on for a long time. And I went and got all these allergy tests. They didn't find nothing. You know how they stick up a bunch of stuff in your arm and all that. Long, long story short, I just... You know, when I pray, I ask God once. That's my style. <laughs> I just thank him for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sneezing. Thank you, Lord. My eyes watering. And this went on for months. And I would just thank God for my healing. Thank God for my healing. Thank God for... You know, I don't realize when the miracle happened. I really don't. I can't tell you it happened this day. I just, I look back all of a sudden, you know, about a year into this, and I'm like, wow. I just realized I've been four months without this thing. You know, I had prayed about it. I had settled it. It didn't disappear instantly. It didn't disappear even in a few months. But I just kept thanking God, and I can't tell you the day I was healed. It just disappeared. And, and you know, and I, have, I still deal with allergies here and there, but nothing like that. It was so, so bad. And, you know, I thank God because a lot of the things are really about this idea about are you really willing to just let it, give it to God? So really, things in your life that you call unbearable are not a bad thing. Pastor, you're messing me up with this sermon. No, I'm not. Because guess what? You're still dealing with it. Y'all need to wake up a little more. Come on, talk to me this morning. So if you call something unbearable in your life, how are you going to wake up tomorrow? If you identify something that's unbearable in your life today, how can you wake up tomorrow? Well, that's a dumb question. I'm going to wake up anyway. So is the unbearable still in your life? So it's bearable. Come on, church. Y'all stop tracking with me. It's bearable because it didn't kill you. And even if it killed you, if you're born again, you're going to heaven. So win-win. Perception. All right, give me the next one. I want to to take this. So I look at the tomb. I look at the cross of what must die, right? I'm going to try to kill all these stuff. And I'm going to look at the tomb of what must come out alive. And here's where it really gets good because everything that you believe that you're missing in your life, grace has it. God has it. In, in other words, this, I believe Creflo made this statement, I don't remember who said it, but it's a really good statement. He said, faith takes what grace makes. In other words, faith, doesn't, faith is, is your connection to God. Your trust, the idea that he's real, the idea that, that spirit lives in you, that you're not by yourself. That is faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. 
But faith makes access to everything that grace has provided. Your health, your wealth, your peace of mind, you know, peace over your home. You know, I, I look at our life, you know, we, we're going through some challenges. I'm not going to break those into. But, I, but then I can look at the other side, and we're going through like one of the best seasons of my life. I mean, you know, I, the, the grandbabies, and they love me to pieces. Of course, I'm awesome. I know why they love me. Very obvious. I mean, you see until they come here, they just surround me, and those moments to me are so significant. So even in difficult times, you still have glory. You know, our relationship with my son and my daughter and their family, everything is like tuned in, like never before. Yeah, we have some challenges, because, you know, grace helps me see that even through a challenge, I got a lot of good stuff going for me. Come on. Because if you're not careful, your challenge becomes tunnel vision, right? Your unbearables become tunnel vision. Well, well, the, the tomb is, I'm looking at something that has to come alive, and what has to come alive is that joy. The power of the resurrection of Jesus was that he knew he wasn't going to go to hell. And he knew that his dad was going to pull him out. Now, he had to go through a very difficult time because he went through it like a human, but part of the power of resurrection is, I don't have to fix any of this. Question, did Jesus, man Jesus, raise himself from the dead? It's a hard question, right? Huh? Did Jesus raise himself from the dead? Some of you are like, yes, no. What's the right answer, Pastor? The answer is he didn't. The, the Bible's really clear who raised Jesus from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. Wasn't he God also? Yes, but Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, spoke. And that dead body broke into pieces. That's resurrection power. Remember, no, we're not taking away from the deity of Christ. I'm saying that God the Father spoke life. Guess what God the Father is doing? He's speaking life into you. But we have a tendency to hang on to dead things. Please say amen here, because if not, I'm going to say amen for you. You could make a list this morning. If you were honest enough, you would take a little piece of paper on your phone, on your notes app, and you say, okay, how many dead things am I hanging on to right now? How many dead attitudes? How many dead offenses? How many unforgiveness that I still have in my heart? How many... Irri- you know, people irritated me. Dead, 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 dead. Help me, Jesus. Well, we're going to go to a place where things come alive. <laughs> are you willing to take, are you serious? Do you want to take some of these things? I don't want to take my negativity that's not dead, make it more alive, really? Are you hearing me? One of the things that God does, he magnifies things. He'll magnify your giving, he'll magnify your love, and he'll magnify your hate, and he'll magnify your anger, and he'll magnify your unforgiveness. Everything magnifies with God. I make a choice, you know what? I just figured out I'm not good enough to carry things to the empty tomb. So I might as well just leave them here. I'm not worthy enough, I'm not clean enough, I'm not holy enough, so I'll just give them to him, I'll just leave, I'll make a choice, because we're like, yes, Jesus, the cross, the cross, bam, bam, nail all the ordinances, nail all the things, but when reality hits... We go right back to our ego default and say, how am I going to do this? How am I going to fix this? What are we going to do? How are we going to pay for it? Those are the dead thinking. That's the thing that the resurrection power of Christ has to help you even this morning say, you know what, I can change this position in my thinking. I can change, you know, I I teach this to my grandkids. Are you kidding me? So there's a higher place of thinking. So what does an 8-year-old understand? What does a 12-year-old, I don't know if they understand it, but I tell them, there's a higher way of thinking. You got lower thinkers and higher thinkers. Higher thinkers are people that don't like a lot of drama. Higher thinkers are people that can avoid drama. And since they can avoid drama, they think higher. In other words, they're trying to attract God. 
in the ways that his ways are higher and my ways are higher and my thoughts are higher, that's a higher thinker. Now, that doesn't make you a better person. That just means you choose higher thinking, and that's what I'm talking about. You choose to let dead things, things that need to die, let them die. But really work effortless. Are there things in your marriage? Is there little backs and forths that, that shouldn't be in, in, in your conversation with your husband or your wife? How about kids towards their parents? How about parents towards their kids? How about deception? How about little things? You know, one of the reasons lying and all these things that the Bible... I was thinking about this. I, I made a note somewhere in all the thousands of notes I write all week. I was thinking about, you know, when you lie, when you cheat, and morality. All these things that say, ah, oh, the Christians, they just want to put all these yokes on you so you can't have any fun or whatever. It's not about that. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. The reason God instructs us this way, because at the end of the day, it's a big suggestion. It's not a force. If God wanted to force you to do something, he'd, ha- he'd have it done, right? If God could force us to be holy, he'd have it done, right? So he can't force us to be holy. So they're all suggestions. They're not demands. Why are they? Because what happens when you live, live in deception, first and foremost, the deception about yourself, you create a negative energy. And when you lie to somebody, you create that negative energy. And now, or when you lie to yourself, you create a negative energy. And one of the things that God, when we talk about resurrection power, resurrection power glides on truth. My word is truth. Resurrection power glides on truth. So the sooner you stop deceiving yourself and just be brutally honest with yourself and say, yes, Lord, these are all the hang-ups. These are all the issues. Make me a better person. I choose to leave those things on the cross. Then the resurrection power becomes available. But as long as we make excuses, as long as we just sit there and say, no, no, I, I can't do that. No, it's not that powerful. Then, you know, God, again, I've been saying this for weeks now, God still loves you and you will still track and you'll still get to heaven. Yay. But down here, you'll be just miserable. You'll be always in, you know, conflict. You'll be in drama. You'll be in cheesemish. You'll be in everything. And God's like, man, I got a better way. And the better way is to simply accept what happened at the tomb. And you had nothing to do with it except to say, here I am. And, the, and what, the, what it says in Romans, I believe, chapter 5, it says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if you can imagine how much power it took to fix a body that was totally destroyed, is available to you. Same power. That, I mean, if you think of it out, that one concept, that means you should be walking around with like this crazy amounts of power, but God doesn't trust us with it, so he can't give us that power. But guess what? Nonetheless, there is power. And there's power to heal your marriage, and there's power to heal your bodies, and there's power to heal your mind, and there's power to heal your finances, and there's all this stuff available, but it comes when it comes to terms on the simple idea that the only thing I need is grace. That's it. Y'all still with me? Give me the next one, Archie. Let's go. The personal resurrection represents the birth of the new. That's pretty much it. When I talk about the personal resurrection... Just like I talked about the personal cross, the personal resurrection is, well, what does it mean? It just means new. All old things have become new. Remember that from last week? So it really, I guess the tension, and I'm trying to resolve this this morning because we're going to move into communion here in a little bit, but uh, before I want to talk a little bit about that before we hand out anything, so don't hand out anything yet, I'm sure. Is how does that apply to me? You know, if, if it's just new... Why doesn't God just make everything new and make my life perfect? Because it's up to you, sunshine. It's up to you to make the choices 
What part of your life do you want to keep? What part of your life you are ready to put on the cross? And what part of your life are you ready to make it brand spanking new? That's up to you. Because if you, if you have a tendency to be negative or liar or whatever, those are the things that God is saying. Are you willing to put it on the cross? Okay, I'm willing. What happens next? You did the first thing. Now you're willing to, to look at yourself as somebody that is no longer a liar, is no longer a whatever. Are you following? Because once that thing is dead, it has to be dead. And now you position yourself where grace is complete. Grace is not a complicated thing, but it's an absolutely positional thing. You have to be where grace is at. And, you know, a lot of Christians say, oh, I, I believe in grace, but every choice they make puts them in a place where they're not in grace. <laughs> Young people, listen to me. You know, so I know you're, you're tired of listening to your parents, but there's a reason we are this old and haven't died. We know a few things. Amen? You know, there's a certain age when your kids, I don't know, I think it's between, maybe between 12 and whatever. Sometimes it lasts a long time. But the universe opens. And they get all the wisdom. And they know everything. About everything. You've experienced that? Yeah, I'm sure you have. And then life slaps them around for about 20 years. And then they wake up and, oh, I don't know. Fill in the blank about anything. You know what? I'm, I'm being silly with this, but Christians are exactly the same way. We come to Jesus, we have an amazing experience, and somehow you think you are like holy, holy Peter now. I mean, that, that happened, you know, and we become zealots. I'm talking about myself. When I first got born again, I'm, I, don't, you know, I thought I was Jeremiah, man, just burn everything down, right? No. The Spirit comes, you're a new creation. What's the next part of that? All old things have passed away. Whose responsibility is it to kill the old things? Thank you. One honest Christian. And he didn't even say me, he said yours. So he put it on me. Thanks, Abe. <laughs> the resurrection represents the birth of the new. That's all it is. I was going to have like this major list here, and, I, and the Lord stopped me and said, no, don't put another thing on that. Don't even put a period on it. It should be three dots. Meaning, what are the things that God is telling you this morning? It's up to you. You've been asking God to make your marriage better? What is the thing you need to crucify? I mean, he's willing to make your marriage better, but what are you willing to crucify? You ask God to get these kids... Lives in order, okay, that's fine, he will. But what are you willing to do in your attitude towards that situation? You've asked God to help you financially? I know these are tough, these are, this one's tough. Are you willing to do what he told you to do? Not what pastor, I don't, you know, like I said, I'm, I know I'm, I say it the wrong way and it sounds harsh and I'm trying to fix it. But what you do or you don't do with your money makes no difference to me. What makes a difference to me is what I do or don't do with my money. My lifestyle will not change one bit if there's not one penny raised this morning. I'm, probably, I'm, I'm being honest with you. It won't change one bit. But when you are struggling financially, God told you what to do. Well, I don't know if I can tithe. Well, that's, you know, that's between you and God. I won't, you know, from this church, I, you know, again, you do what you got to do. But he told you this is the way. You can sit there and argue and fight and everything, and you can sit there and argue and fight and struggle your whole life with your finances. He still loves you. But guess what? You weren't willing to put that on the cross. 
God, you're my everything tithe. Well, no, you're not that much everything. You're 90% God. Okay, sorry, I meant 100, but you're really only 90%. I'm, I'm being silly, but you know, those attitudes, well, God doesn't need my money. No, he doesn't need your money. But it's all about trust. And I can, I can, get, I can assure you, if you just pick people from this church, and I kind of know who they are, that I know are consistent tithers, and just let them take up the pulpit, and one by one, without influencing any of their conversations, say, tell me where you were before you decided to tithe. Tell me where you are when you made the choice. And I know these people. And it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a few years. But today, every one of them is in a completely different place. I'm telling you, I know these people, including myself. So I'm not here to force you to do anything. But God will always place us in a position to say, what are you willing to put on? In other words, my my whole message, the summary of my message is this. Unless you are willing to put it on the cross, you're not willing to experience the life of it. That's pretty much it. Unless you're willing to kill unforgiveness, you will never understand the power that it is to live a life where you can just forgive everybody all the time. Is that even possible? It is. Are you there yet? Not yet, but I'm getting close. Still, things rub me the wrong way, but I'm, I'm so on auto. People slap me, people say nasty things about people, betray you, whatever, and it just slides right off. That's been years of working. That. It didn't happen in one service, but I made a commitment years ago. I said, that is going to go on that cross, because that is a part of me that I do not like. I am angry, and if I lose it, I lose it. And that's not who I am. So I continually have to, what did Paul say about our cross? Daily. Daily. Oh, pastor, what a good service. I'm going to take communion right now, and you know everything bad is going to... No, yeah, that's, a, that's where we start, but now from now on, you're going to have to remind yourself what happened at that communion table. Because getting on the cross is a daily thing. Guess what's also a daily thing? Accepting the power of the resurrection. I just have to accept it. You know, I've, I've accepted one thing. There's a ton of things in my life I can't control. Praise God for them. And there's a lot of things in my life that I can just rely on resurrection power. And that's pretty much it. And the more I summarize this in my thinking, I'm very careful now. Do I want to get in strife over that? My flesh does. But does my spirit? My spirit says, you don't need to go there. Don't go there. Don't go there. Why? Because you're going to mess up that resurrection power. Are you all tracking with me? So this morning, what I want you to do is, is, is really do some inner search, you know, in whatever version you come up with of the things in your life that need to be on that cross. But at the same time, what is the trade-off, or what would your life look like where the resurrection life of God comes on that area? Whatever area of your life is, if it's your personal life, if it's your marriage life, if it's your you know, financial health life, I don't care what it is. You know? Maybe it's your spiritual life. Maybe you feel like you're not even connected to God. Now, with that in mind, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm almost done, but I, w- I wanted to set up the communion exactly how it, it's mentioned here. Because every time we take communion, I go through this way too fast, and I'm not going to spend even a lot of time on it this morning. But you have to understand two, you know, some basic, basic things about communion. Because, again, religion will take something as beautiful as a communion service and make it a religious exercise. First of all, communion was not invented by the Christians, all right? Number one, you want the history of communion. The Passover meal was a celebration that the Jews till today partake every year. What they're celebrating is that death, listen, because all this is going to tie into communion, death passed over from the times of Moses. Remember? Egypt. So that's why it's called Passover. 
And the only way death would pass over was if they took the, the blood of the lambs and they put it on the threshold of their house, of their little houses, the slaves. We're talking about the slaves in Egypt. And when the angel of death came over, you guys know the story, it killed the firstborn of everything that was alive except the ones that had the blood marked. Isn't that a cool type in shadow? This happened you know, literally thousands of years before Jesus showed up. But that is the Passover. That's what was celebrated the night that Jesus was betrayed. When he sat with his disciples, they didn't just come, they didn't just come up with this thing. Amen? They did this. I mean, Jesus has been doing it ever since he's been born, and Peter and everybody, their families have been doing it. They're still doing it today. So they went up to the upper room. Once again, they're going to have their Passover celebration. It wasn't going to be really holy. It wasn't going to be really loud. But then Jesus changed it up a little bit. He said, guys, there's one little thing different today about this celebration. Today, I become that. I become your Passover. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Now, this was creeping some of them out, right? Because he said that previously and everybody left. It sounded like cannibalism. That's not what it was. He was just representing covenant. He says, I am the lamb of Passover. Get it? Keep tracking, because that's what communion is. So the church takes that, and we call it the Lord's Supper. Yep, nothing wrong with that. And we bring it into the exercise of the church in whatever form or fashion. Some churches celebrate it every Sunday. In our case, we celebrate it once a month. Sometimes we miss one, sometimes we don't. But at the end of the day, it's something you can celebrate whenever you want to. Because communion is not a church event. The Passover... Yes, it was a family event. It wasn't a church event. I mean, it, was, it was religious. But people got in their houses and celebrated Passover. Amen? Now, there's, you know, within the rabbinical, all that, you know, the Jewish tradition, yes, there's a huge celebration. And there's church services and all that. My point is, it was a personal, intimate thing of acceptance. Say acceptance. Acceptance of the things that you have no control over and you are willing to, to give them to God, and by doing so, your, if I can use it this way, your death grip passes over that circumstance. What do you mean my death grip? Because, you know, everything we touch goes to poop sometimes. I mean, without Jesus. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. That's what this communion is. So Paul now comes in, and our most famous reading of this is in 1 Corinthians 11, but, you know, again, I'm going to build you all the way up to the history of it so we don't read 15 chapters, 11 chapters. The Corinthian church has two interesting aspects to it from all the other churches. First of all, it gets two, well, Thessalonians got two letters. I'm not going to say the only one they got two, but it got real extended letters. It's the longest letters, two of the longest letters were written to one church. They were the most spiritual church, or not spiritual, that's a bad word. Let me just put it this way, they were the most Pentecostal church. They were very open to the gifts, and they moved freely with the gifts. The problem was they didn't have a lot of teaching, so they went on kind of like today. If you don't have a lot of good teaching and good solid foundation on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then you go insane. You see it today. And the church was in this weird thing. The other thing that the church had, and it still was very common back in the day, um, it's not like that in Europe anymore, it's like that in India, it was very, how do you, how do you say, a caste system? In other words, if you had money you lived in a certain level of everything, including the church. 
So you had levels. And if you were just the plain folk, well, the plain folk and the rich folk, they don't hang out because rich folk are way too much better than the plain folk. You get me? So the caste system was very clear. So the communion service back then was not a little wafer and a cup of grape juice. It was a full-blown meal. Because even the Passover meal was kind of like that. You know, they had the Passover bread, which was unleavened bread, but at the end there was a meal and there was a celebration. So they had taken the whole Passover celebration. The only problem was these people are Grecian. Well, the Greeks, if you know anything about the Greeks, well, they were very progressive even back then. They were like the liberals of today, right? <laughs> and the Greeks had a lot of, you know, funky habits that they brought into the church, which included a lot of immoral stuff. So now you got in the church, you got this, imagine this church, this is, this is that wild party church, right? You ready for it? This is the Corinthian church, read it. They got all kinds of immorality going on. I mean, Paul gets to the point where he says, there's, there's some, so much bad stuff in this church that not even the Gentiles do the bad that you guys are doing. It's right there, read it. And then he goes on and he talks about the gifts and he talks about love. And he, I mean, Corinthians is so rich and rich and rich. That beautiful scripture we've been preaching for two weeks is in the book of Corinthians. And then he comes to the Passover. So at the Passover, what they were doing now, they would say, okay, church, we're having our Last Supper celebration at 5 o'clock. They would tell the whole church. Because one thing that Paul would preach, he says, there's no longer Jew. There's no longer Greek. There's no longer slave. There's no longer male. There's no longer female. We're all one. Remember that? He's preaching that. But the Corinthians, the Grecians, they have a problem with that because, yeah, that's, that's really pretty, Paul, but I still don't like the lower class people. Racism. Now we're following? I don't take long, but you guys, are, you guys get more here on a Sunday than you do like all year in a lot of churches. But anyway. So now you got this. So, so their, their Last Supper celebration is a meal. But since the rich folk don't want to hang out with the poor folk, they tell the poor folk the celebration is at five or whatever, that they meet at one. And they eat all the good stuff. But not only that, they get blasted drunk. I know some of you would love to go to that church, but yeah. Anyway. I mean, they're not, they're not sipping little cups of grape juice. They're like, woohoo! You know, I mean, like, big time. So now, they're all blasted drunk in church, and the poor people that were supposed to be there at five show up at five, all humble, and want to have the Lord's Supper, and everybody's like in this weird place now. And they're over here like, I thought we were here for the Lord's Supper. Now, Paul begins to address it. After all that, Listen to the conversation, because this is exactly what still happens today. And I want you to see it in that light. 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, whatever version you want to open it. But please track, because we're almost done. He begins to explain this, and, sorry, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Let me see if I can pick it up. Every, all the context that I told you, I'm, I'm going to try to summarize it. So, okay. Let's just see. Well, he's, he's like letting them have it, the whole chapter 11. But let's pick it up, for example. I'm going to kind of pick through it. But let's pick it up, for example, verse... Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see verse 17. First Corinthians says, Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. I like King James. <laughs> We should talk to our kids like that. When they do something bad, I praise you not. That's a bad grade, I praise you not. That you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. I mean, this is fancy English to say, guys, are you kidding me? Your church meetings, instead of helping the church, you're destroying the church. Paul's almost saying, like, stop, don't even have church meetings anymore. 
He says, what you're doing is making things worse. First of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, he's going to address this whole thing that I just told you. For in eating, everyone takes before his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Everybody told you they all got blasted drunk? What have you not houses to eat and drink? In other words, he's saying, don't bring this to the house of God. Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? See, Paul's making a huge statement. He says, you guys have your little party, and then the ones that have not, the lower caste, you're shaming them? In other words, he's saying, look guys, what you're doing with this. You brought this down to nothing. For everyone, well, it says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, verse 20, verse 21. For in eating, everyone takes before his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken, what you have not houses to eat or drink or despise you, the church of God, and shame them to have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. I like that. I'm going to start using that. For I have received of the Lord. In other words, I praise you not means what you guys are doing is completely wrong. Of the, I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night and when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, guys, let's bring this back to focus. This is the representation of the death of Jesus. This is not a party. This is not a get-together. Wherefore, verse 27, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The word sleep means are dying or are dead. And it could mean inside or outside. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry means wait for one another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you come not together unto condemnation, and rest, I, I love this one, and the rest I will set in order when I come. So he's not done with them. Like, this is just a preview of what I'm going to fix when I get there. So let me summarize that, and we'll, and we'll finish with this. And ushers, you can get ready if you may help us with communion. First of all, let's address this idea of unworthiness. What does that mean? Because, boy, that has become a hang-up for so many people. I've heard people say, well, if you're divorced, you, you can't have communion. I've heard some people say, if you're not water baptized. I went to a church, if you weren't water baptized, you can have communion. If you weren't a church member, you can have communion. If you weren't this, if you weren't that. There was all these regs and, and rules to not have communion. And what they say, well, the thing is, we don't want people to take it unworthily. Well, the unworthily is really simple. It's not none of that. The unworthily is what they made out of it. See, in a few moments, you're going to get a little piece of, go ahead, you can minister, a little piece of bread and a little piece of grape, you know, a little cup of grape juice. And I want everyone to take one. If you don't want to take communion, that's fine, but, you know, just leave it there. I just want to make sure you have it with you because when I get finished explaining what I'm explaining. So 
the unworthily part came of their perception of, of what they were doing with this. Jesus made it a holy moment where his people realized that he had just become the lamb of the Passover. Pay attention to this. I know I'm boring you guys, but this is very important. Y'all ready? Say amen. I'll keep my personal comments to myself. I just think this is so important. I, you, know, you know, I got out of driving old wrecked cars when I understood this. That's how important it is. I'm not even going to share that testimony. Marcos remembers all that. One day I had it. I said, Lord, I take communion. I can't do this anymore with these cars. It wasn't just that year I bought my first car. Paid cash for it. New. Amazing story. I'm not going to take you through it. But tell me, my wife and I were at this table, have been at this table, still are at this table. We don't just take communion on Sunday morning. We take communion every time we need it. We take communion every time our house is on fire. And, and I'm not talking literally. You don't need communion. You need a hose if it's on fire. I'm talking when things are burning down, when situations are out of your control. We understand there is no magic in this church. Don't, don't get hung up on this, because if you get hung up on this, you're going to miss it. I say things that irritate people, that I, I say things to make people think. Those watching me online, you could go get a Twinkie and a Dr. Pepper, if you want. People are like, ah, sacrilegious! Oh, this is holy grape juice from Jerusalem? Been here so long, it might be wine, I don't know. Somebody said, can I have another one, Pastor? Yeah, it's old. This is not holy. It's your attitude towards it. That's why I said, don't get hung up. If you've got a piece of bread, a glass of water. There's nothing magic. It is the idea that something is about to pass over. Come on, grab onto this. I'm done with this, Pastor. So your part, as I summarize this, I'm going to crucify this. I'm going to focus myself on the empty tomb. But by doing so, I'm not doing it alone. His resurrection power. Death passed over me. Sickness passed over me. My marriage being destroyed passed over me. My kids destroying their lives on drugs passed over me. Are you paying attention to this? That's what, that's what Paul was trying to make a reference to. and say, guys, you guys made something out of it. That's why you're dead. That's why you're sick. That's why you are struggling in life because you don't see it. He said, the covenant, all this is, is a reminder of covenant. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest preachers of the last century, he took communion every single day of his life. This, that meant so much to him to be in the presence of God and to understand covenant, because by taking communion, you're, you're saying a couple of things. You're saying, this is dead in my life. Even if, it never sh- even if you're still struggling with it, you make a statement to hell and you make a statement to heaven, I'm done. I'm done with this moral issue. I'm done with this immorality. I'm done with lying and cheating. I'm done with being an idiot. I'm done with whatever I'm done with. But you take communion, and what communion does, it marks a place of covenant. Remember the marks of covenant. There are things in your life that if you take communion, you know where it's really powerful as a couple? Maybe this day, maybe this week, you and your husband, your wife, you sit down and say, you know what, we're going to take communion over these things. And that means I'm not touching it with my mouth. That means I'm done. That means I've really given it to the Lord. And if your husband or your wife wants to talk about it, say, hey, God, you remember we took communion over it? Yeah, we can't touch it now. Because that's how you violate communion, and that's what the Corinthians were doing. They had taken a beautiful thing and made a disaster. So I, I know I could go on and on, but it's all here. So this morning, what are the qualifications for communion? Except Jesus is your Savior. That's the only thing that you need to qualify. 
All the other statements about disqualification were based on their attitude towards it. Their attitude towards each other. That's why I say people take communion in church. We should walk out of here loving everybody, forgiving everybody. But you know what? We take communion and then we're irritated because somebody parked behind me. Oh, he's probably talking to pastor. Yeah. Oh, you got a little bit of communion juice? Yeah, let me wipe it off. The word communion means common. My pain should be your pain. Your pain should be my pain. Doesn't Jesus say rejoice with those that rejoice and suffer with those that suffer? That's what communion does. Where I'm weak, maybe you're strong. And where you're weak, guess what? Maybe I'm strong. But because we have communion with one another, the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, now does not just stop with the individual. Now it can move corporately through a congregation. Isn't that good? Wow, glory to God. That was so good. Father, we thank you this morning. Say this with me. Lord Jesus, I give it all to you. I put it all on the cross. I'm done. I'm tired of being sick and tired. I crucify it all. I accept you as my Lord and Savior forever. Amen. See how simple it is to be born again? Now keep your eyes closed. I'm not done. Now this is before we, you know, before we take communion. Get really serious about it. What are the things that you're willing to leave on the cross? And which are the things that you're willing to let God help you? Maybe in character modification. I know that's one of the most painful ones, but he'll help you even with that. Father, we pray over this list of things that are wearing us out. These things, Lord, that we say, I can't do this anymore. Father, we put these things that we sometimes will use the word unbearable, that we remind ourselves that you bore everything so it's not unbearable. And Father, right now, over everyone watching us online, everyone in this house, my prayer, Father, is that this covenant becomes so real that every single day of our lives we're reminded of it. That your blood was precious. Your blood wasn't the blood of Muhammad. Your blood wasn't the blood of Buddha or any other seeker or any other spiritualist. It was the blood of the Son of God. And Lord, we take this covenant this morning and we look at our lives and we look at the superficial world that we live in, Lord, and we make a decision to say we will live by spirit. We will live connected And Father, we pray, and I pray for myself and I pray for our church, that our church has a higher level of thinking and processing things, that we see things like you said in Isaiah, that your ways are higher, that your thoughts are higher. And the Lord, that is the pursuit of us. My prayer today is, Father, for every family that is under an absolute attack right now. If that's you, if you're watching me online, you're in-house, I speak life over that. I speak life over your marriage. I speak life over your kids. I speak life over your business, your finances, everything that that means that matters to you. I speak life. I speak Zoe, God-given life over you right now. And Father, with that in mind, we look at the cross once more. And we crucify all our selfish, egotistical attitudes and perceptions that we have. And Father, we just open our eyes. Help us open our eyes to that empty tomb to that resurrection power. We give you glory and praise for this day in Jesus' name. Everybody said, wow, that was good. Glory be to Jesus. Well, I don't know what else to tell you.
You take covenant. You take communion anytime you need to. I'll catch up with you all if I can figure this thing out. All right, let's take communion. Back again, verse 24. When he had given thanks, he broke the bread, and he said, This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. Do ye often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for resurrection power. We thank you for resurrection life. And we believe, Father, that this service, Easter 2022, will mark something in our life that the remainder of this year, as we go forward into this year, will be full of the signs of the glory. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Glory to God. Well, did you enjoy that this morning? I know your hands are full, so say give the Lord a hand clap, but then you'll... You got a cup there. So. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get you out of here. I know everybody's got a lot of Easter or resurrection plans. But um, I'm trying to find the right service so we can really talk about Cuba because today wasn't the service. It was, you know, communion, Easter Sunday. But um, again, I just want to thank everyone for their support and their prayers. There's a lot we need to talk about. One of the things that we're gearing up, and I want, you know, it's not a lot, but I want you to pray about it. I'm, I'm trying to set up a plan. One of the plans that we came back from Cuba is to try to be able to give these five pastors um, some kind of financial support continually, not just here and there and haphazard, but something that they can count on every month. And um, so we'll talk about that. But, you know, start praying about that because here's the difference that we can make. You know, we got these people out there under, you know, just really, really difficult conditions. And you know, we can, by supporting these pastors financially, it really would change a lot of the dynamics, even in the church down there, because it would open up a lot of help for Yoel. So that's one of the projects that we have. We have some other stuff that's going on. But again, just, just pray for that. Other than that, you know, just, you know, do what the Lord tells you. Like I tell people, does this church believe that God prospers you? Of course we believe God prospers you, because the Bible is there. You know, you can't take it out. But at the same time, you got to... Always understand that God looks at you from a different, complete different angle. And when you talk about giving, and you talk about supporting, here's the, for those of you that are new to the church, for those of you that are watching us online, I really want the online people to get a hold of this. This church is 100% funded by you. We don't have any outside help. We don't have some big organization, you know, pushing money into the church. And we do like crazy amount of stuff with hair string. So everything is needed. Don't ever, don't ever do the sin of assumption. What's the sin of assumption, church? Well, I'm sure somebody else got this. The problem with that is everybody does that at some time, and then the church shuts down, right? Because people assume that other people were taking care of it. And I, I don't stress over any of it. You know, we, we kind of dealt some of this stuff in the, the Laredo campus, and I, I was like, people were like, how do you feel? I said, I feel fine. I have no issues with it. Why? Because if people don't want the product, then they don't need the product, right? It's the same thing. What do you do? What, what does your finances represent in a church? Well, it represents that your kids are hearing something other than TikTok. And garbage and sexuality and immorality and drugs they're, they're you know so you're investing in your kids you're investing in yourself hopefully some of this information makes your week a little bit better your life a little bit better your point of view a little bit better so you're investing in your mental health say amen come on if it wasn't for jesus most of us would probably be insane by now right so your investment comes you know your what you invest into god his kingdom comes back in a lot of ways you're changing people's lives in mexico you're changing people's lives in cuba Amen. We're sending, just to give, you know, we don't make a lot of parade, but right now we've sent um, 
over $1,000 to Ukraine. Part of that money is to try to purchase a van so they can move people out. Um, I mean, the war is still going on just because we're not talking about it, it's still going on. In, in conversations, we helped, and Diana and H were in the middle of this. They must have fun running with me because Diana gets these weird text messages like, you got to answer this phone, this Ukrainian's going to call you. Remember that? I don't know if she called or not, but we helped a Ukrainian come into the United States. And it wasn't illegal. She, you know, she could come in. So we were, there's all kinds of little dynamics. You think, it's funny, you think about Hebronville, and then you think about we're involved in U- Ukraine, we're involved in Cuba. So that's happening. You know, we don't, ha- we don't have to make a show. You know, we're, we're, we're doing our part. And I could go on and on about the different things in Cuba. I got one request from Ukraine that they were saying if we could figure how to, what was it? The, yeah, I mean, they, they say, Pastor, can you get us 100 grade, what is it, military grade body armor? How cool to be a pastor of this church, right? I mean, who gets, you know, I get, pray for me, my dog is sick. The next request is, can I, we need a 100 units of body armor to fight the Russians. Cool, okay, we'll take care of you know. I don't know how all that works. But as, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually going to ask Josh about that. I know a guy that could possibly help us with that. <laughs> that's the kind of ministry you're involved in. So when you give, that's what your money is doing. It's touching all these nations, touching all these people. So don't ever underestimate. It keeps the lights on, but it keeps things moving. So see it from that perspective. You're investing into the kingdom. Amen? Thank you so much for all your support. Stand to your feet. There's your information. And we will see you next week. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We take this seed that is being sown, Father, in obedience. And Lord, we just want to be good stewards, Lord. If you send us, tell us, do something in Ukraine, we'll do it there. Cuba, Mexico, Navajo Nation, wherever you tell us, Lord, we will go. But Father, we don't forget about Hebronville. We don't forget that you called us into this little town.